Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Steve sent me a note about a case that just came down from the United States Court of Appeals. It's gone back and forth a couple times, but the ruling is a good one. And it's actually kind of surprising it was this complicated. But um, it turns out that there are laws on the books. They're actually written down places. If you want to actually go look up a law, you can. The blue books behind me, as I often say, are the law books in the state of Michigan. And so it turns out there are some people who think that the law books should be copyrighted in a sense to where if you want to publish them to other people, you got to get the permission of somebody first. And yet that whole ignorance of the law thing kind of implies that the laws should be available to anybody who wants to see what they say. So here's the case. By the way, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has been all over this one, really, really pushing for this uh, case to happen. And so this is from the U.S. Court of Appeals, and I've simply got the 19-page opinion in my left hand, and uh, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to try to do what I can to summarize it for you, because not all 19 pages are, are important. But the case starts off as the American Society for Testing and Materials, et al., and others, versus Public Resource Org, Inc. So Public Resource Org is the organization that wanted to publish the laws and American Society for Testing and Materials is one of the uh, entities that said, well, you can't publish anything we drafted, even if it was incorporated into the law. So the way this works is, and I'm going to read the opinion for you now, many private organizations develop and copyright suggested technical standards for industry products or problems. Federal and state governments often incorporate those standards into law. This case presents the question whether third parties may make the incorporated standards available for free online. We hold that the non-commercial dissemination of such standards as incorporated by reference into law constitutes fair use and thus cannot support liability for copyright infringement. So knock yourself out. You can publish this stuff if you want to. Three standard developing organizations raised copyright infringement claims against a defendant for posting online copyrighted standards that had been incorporated into law. And that's the key here. They had been incorporated into law. No one could make the claim that these things should be meant to be public. The district court, however, granted summary judgment to the organizations, but this court reversed it and sent it back down for further factual development. So district court ruled, went to the Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals sent it back down and said, guys, double-check this. They double-checked it, and they sent it back up, and now... The court here is saying the correct decision was reached when the lower court said it's all fair use. On remand, the district court held that the non-commercial posting of standards incorporated by reference into law is, in fact, fair use. So uh, there's all kinds of detailed information that you can get into here if you wanted to. I'm not going to get into it other than to tell you various private organizations put out standards establishing best practices for their respective industries or products. These organizations routinely copyright their standards and generate revenue by selling those standards. And for example, the National Fire Protection Association, a plaintiff in this suit, develops standards addressing the prevention of fire, electrical, and related hazards. One such standard, would be referred to as NFPA 10, addresses the design, inspection, maintenance, and testing of portable fire extinguishers. The NFPA sells hard copies of its standards as well as a subscription service that allows digital access. Now, federal agencies may incorporate privately developed standards into law, 
by referencing them in agency rulemaking. Incorporation by reference, or IBR, in a published rule allows agencies to satisfy the requirement to publish rules in the Federal Register without reproducing the standards themselves. The CFR contains more than 27,000 incorporations of privately developed standards by reference. For example, 29 CFR 1915.507B1 requires shipyard operators to select, maintain, and test portable fire extinguishers in accordance with NFPA 10. So the question, of course, is if they couldn't make these things available to somebody who needed them, they'd have to go out and buy them just to find out what the law said. Congress has authorized and encouraged the use of IBR, that's incorporation by reference, because it allows agencies to avoid duplication of effort and helps conform legal standards to industry best practices. So the plaintiffs in this case are three standard developing organizations, the American Society for Testing and Materials, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, and the NFPA. The defendant is publicresource.org, a nonprofit group that disseminates legal and other materials. It has posted on its website copies of hundreds of incorporated standards, including standards produced and copyrighted by these plaintiffs. As a result, any internet user may view, download, or print these standards for free. But keep in mind that all those standards were developed by these groups. They were incorporated by reference into the law. The law would say, to comply with this law, you must do this. And without a copy of this, how would you know? So would you really have to go and contact a group and go, how much? I want to buy a copy of the law from you. How much will it cost me? In 2013, the plaintiffs sued public resource for copyright infringement. Plaintiffs moved for summary judgment on these claims as to nine of the disputed standards. The district court granted the motion and ordered public resource to stop posting the standards. The court rejected the defense that posting incorporated standards constituted fair use. And fair use is something you hear about quite often talking about copyright. And the question is, if somebody has something copyrighted, once in a while, other people can use it, and it's considered fair use. But there's a bunch of standards that go into whether or not something will constitute fair use. And it's extremely difficult to summarize it because it varies wildly from case to case. But the court points out that first, the trial court ruled Then it went to the Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals said, I don't think he did that right. Sent it back down to the trial court. Trial court then basically ruled the other way. And now the parties that lost, the plaintiffs, went back up to the Second Circuit. The Second Circuit saying, no, this is actually a good ruling. So here's what we're talking about. The Copyright Act protects original works of authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. Fixed means it has been put down in a way that is beyond just temporary. So if I write something on a piece of paper, it's been fixed on paper. If I print something with a printer, it's been fixed on paper. If I shoot a video as I am right now, it's fixed in the video format. And so you'll actually notice the end of my videos, surprise, surprise to some people, there's a copyright notice. And it indicates that I've, in fact, pointing, I've been pointing out that what I'm doing here, I consider fixed in a tangible format, and it's original to me, it's an original work of authorship, and I am the author. So there's a copyright notice at the end of this video. It says, copyright Steve Leto with the year. Whatever year that might be, I don't know. The owner of a valid copyright has the exclusive right to reproduce, distribute, or display the copyrighted work. To prove infringement, a plaintiff must show its ownership of the valid copyright, 
the defendant's copying of original elements of the work. And, however, there is a defense. And the defense is fair use. Fair use. The fair use of a copyrighted work for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, or research is not an infringement of copyright. However, in determining whether the use made of a work, in any particular case, is a fair use, the factors to be considered shall include, and this is where it gets tricky, the factors to be considered, the purpose and character of the use, including whether it's a commercial nature or nonprofit or educational, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole, and the effect of the use upon the potential market or value of the copyrighted work. So if I write a book that is 70,000 words, and you excerpt a portion of it in a critical essay about my writing, I can't say, you can't quote a paragraph out of my book. Yeah, you can. It's called fair use. And I would recognize that. And that's one of the things that people do when they criticize printed works. Okay? And likewise, it would be true in other settings as well. However, if you said, Steve, just to let you know, I'm going to take uh, the first three chapters out of one of your books and Xerox them off and hand them out to my class because I want them to study these three chapters of your book, but I don't want my students to pay for that damn thing. book's too expensive. Well, guess what? Three chapters out of the book might not be fair use because you're doing so much with it that it's going to hurt the potential market because presumably if your students were getting a free set of the first three chapters, they may have to buy the book. Fair use analysis, however, is highly, highly fact-intensive, and the four enumerated factors are not exclusive. The district court separately analyzed the four factors for each of the 217 standards at issue, but its bottom line was straightforward. Public resources copying of material incorporated by reference into law for free dissemination was fair use. And the Court of Appeals agrees with that. So they point out the first three factors strongly support holding that public resources posting of incorporated standards was fair use, uh, as this court had suggested they should find. The first factor is the purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or for nonprofit educational purposes. This factor focuses on whether an alleged infringing use has a further purpose or different character, which is a matter of degree, and the degree of difference must be weighed against other considerations, like commercialism. Uh, it supports the defense here for two reasons. First, public resources use is for nonprofit educational purposes. Second, public resources use is transformative because it serves a different purpose than the plaintiff's work. So keep in mind that the first purpose of the work is to simply come up with a standard. Once it's been turned into a law and incorporated by reference, it's no longer just a standard proposed by somebody, but it is actually, in fact, the law. That's transformative, my friends. And so if you said, Steve, instead of copying out the first two chapters of your book and giving them to my class, I've instead asked a dance troupe to come in here and through interpretive dance demonstrate the first two chapters of your book to my class. Guess what? That's transformative. Knock yourself out. <laughs> and by the way, if you arrange that, let me come watch. I'd be fascinated to see. And I don't even care which book of mine it is. Okay, keep in mind I've written 12, 14 books, something like that. 
The plaintiffs make two principal objections to this analysis of the fair use factors. First, they argue the district court ignored important differences among three different categories. Uh, And the plaintiffs argue that under ASTM 2, public resource may copy the first category, but not the other two. But again, I'm not going to get into the heavy discussion on this because really these things have all been incorporated into law and it's it's going to be fair use Uh, the last factor which apparently the court spent some time on was the fourth fair use one it's the effect of the use upon the potential market value or value of the copyrighted work it requires courts to consider not only the extent of market harm caused by the actions of the infringer but also whether unrestricted and widespread conduct of the sort engaged in would result in a substantially adverse impact on the potential market. In the previous case, we noted that public resources copying may harm the market for the plaintiff's standards, but we found the extent of the harm to be unclear. We noted three considerations that might reduce the amount of harm. First, the plaintiffs themselves make the incorporated standards available for free in their own reading rooms. Second, public resource may not copy unincorporated standards or unincorporated portions of standards only partially incorporated. Third, the plaintiffs have developed and copyrighted updated versions have uh, not yet been incorporated into law. So we asked the party to address these issues, among others, on remand. And on remand, the court did that and came back and said, yeah, you know something, uh, we're not going to buy that either. Finally, our analysis of market effects must balance any monetary losses to the copyright holders against any public benefits of the copying. Thus, even if public resources postings were likely to lower demand for the standards that could be purchased from the plaintiffs, we'd also have to consider the substantial public benefits of free and easy access to the law. As the Supreme Court recently confirmed, every citizen is presumed to know the law, and it needs no argument to show that it all should have free access to the law. So that's really the thing that sinks this entire case as far as those groups go because those groups want to have it both ways they want to be the ones who draft the standards that become the law but they also want to be the only ones who can sell those standards once they've become the law once they become the law uh they pretty much belong to everybody and as this court points out and the supreme court's pointed out you're presumed to know the law and we all know that the law would be impossible for everyone to know because not even attorneys know all the laws but the point simply is that if you wanted to know the law, where would you go? And I've told you before, for instance, Michigan laws are all online. So if you say, Steve, what's the Lemon Law say? And I start talking, you say, no, 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 dude, 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 dude. I don't want to hear it from you. I want to go look it up myself. MCL 257-1401 at SEC. MCL 257-1401. 257 is the Motor Vehicle Code, and 1401 is a section on the Lemon Law. 1301 is the Motor Vehicle Service Repair Act, and so on. But 1401 is the Lemon Law. It's got eight or nine sections you probably want to read. It'll take you about half an hour if you go slow. And uh, the law is there, though. And anybody can read it who has access to a computer or a library or the blue books behind me. Okay? Now, (laughs) the point is it's available. You can't keep the laws secret. You can't charge people to see the laws. That doesn't make any sense. So I'm surprised that it went back and forth like this so many times. But then again, somebody out there is thinking to themselves, well, if we win this case, we can charge people even more money because they have to know the law to comply with it. And we have copies of the law that we legally copyrighted before they got incorporated into law. 
But once the stuff gets incorporated in the law, it seems to me it should be fair game for everybody. So as the court here points out, guess what? The fact that it got incorporated in the law means that you lose your ability to keep other people from seeing it without paying you for it. So there you go. So that's the good result from this case. Uh, and it's a good case. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, like I said, is all over this one. And they did a lot of uh, work getting the word out on it. And so uh, Steve sent me a note. says, Steve, check this out. The opinion just came down a few days ago. The United States Court of Appeals, the District of Columbia Circuit. And by the way, that is the circuit court where many of the cases get heard involving the laws and copyrights and so on, because, of course, a lot of that stuff is happening in and around our nation's capital. So American Society for Testing and Materials versus publicresource.org, Inc. And uh, publicresource.org.inc came out the winner on that one. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. I'm a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more of it comes my way.